series. I'm fascinated with communities that gather to solve a problem, their problem. I tune my ears to such communities and grab guests to join us and share. Less often, I discover institutions actively and sustainably, meaning over years or decades, engaged with the communities they serve. So what's the difference? One time and sustained. One time is meaningful, it's significant, it's fulfilling, and it's amazing. It's hard to learn from and time-consuming to start. There is no rapid zero to 60 miles an hour when you need it. Sustained engagement takes time to build. It needs an investment up front, and it's ongoing, but it's available on demand. They're different, with different results. One such institution sustaining community engagement is the Cambridge Health Alliance, CHA. Several episodes ago, we met Dr. Kirsten Meisinger, who recommended inviting Janice John and Jamila Zibel to be our guests. Jamila Zibel is Director of Health Education and Access Programs at the Cambridge Health Alliance. She's responsible for the oversight of several programs, including the Volunteer Health Advisors, Aging Wisely in Everett, Senior Suicide Prevention, Women's Health Network, and the Community Health Improvement Learning Institute, which regularly offers community health worker training. Jamila holds a Master's of Arts in Law and Diplomacy from Tufts University. Janice John, PA, is a medical director at Cambridge Health Alliance, an experienced community health clinician, leader, and educator with a passion for shaping our healthcare delivery system to improve the health of our communities. She's a transformational leader, alliance builder, strategic thinker, creative problem solver, and collaborator. Welcome to Health Hats, the podcast. I'm Danny Van Leeuwen, a two-legged cisgender old white man of privilege who knows a little about a lot of health care and a lot about very little. We will listen and learn about what it takes to adjust to life's realities in the awesome circus of health care. Let's make some sense of all of this. Jamila and Janice. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm delighted. Could you guys introduce yourselves uh, to our listeners and readers and tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to this place of investing in community engagement? Janice, you want to start? Sure. So I'm Janice John. I am a PA at the Cambridge Health Alliance, PA, physician assistant. Um, And I work in primary care at CHA and have 
been with the organization for about a decade and worked in homeless health care for about a decade before that. Working really in community medicine has been really the entire arc of my career, but often really from the the perspective of, you know, being a clinical provider. Okay. Thank you. Jamila, tell us about yourself. Yeah, so my name is Jamila Shibley. I work as a director of health education and access at the Cambridge Health Alliance. It's my road to where I am is not straight. <laughs> I had a lot of detours, <laughs> but my undergrad is social work in Brazil in a time when Brazil was opening from a military dictatorship and there was a lot of community work being done. And I was deeply involved, and that stopped a little bit when I came here. But as I aged and as I matured, I came back to this work. I asked Janice and Jamila about the relationships with the communities that CHA serves. My role during starting in March of 2020 was to lead our COVID outpatient clinic. Um, So our clinic that was taking care of patients upstream from the emergency room and evaluating patients. And throughout the um, first couple of weeks, really first few weeks of the pandemic, it was readily apparent that there was that the communities that were being hit the hardest were immigrant communities and that there were some pretty big differences in who came into our clinic, our outpatient clinic, who called in with symptoms, wanting a test, et cetera, et cetera, and who was ending up in the ER and needing hospitalization. So people that were most likely to come in for upstream care, there were differences within our subcommunities. And it wasn't something that we could figure out with a clinical lens. We really needed to understand from the perspective of the communities. And and because of that, I reached out to our community health improvement team. Jamila is our kind of rock star as far as community engagement. And we brainstormed to try to think of ways to figure this out. And But it was really seeing these discrepancies um, and disparities really in our communities that made us really try to figure out what we were not doing, not seeing, not understanding. Real quick, just say something briefly about upstream. What does that sure. mean? So, so the way that I think about care is most of health doesn't, it, it doesn't happen in the health system at all. And Correct. so yes. most of health happens far before anyone walks in the the doors, what influences health is what is a series of things that happens in life, in built community, et cetera, et cetera. And when COVID was emerging, what we really had was a playbook from China that focused on hospitalization. A lot of the national conversation really influenced by what was happening in Italy was around ventilators. There were entire entire working groups trying to figure out who would get ventilators. And our system really said we are an outpatient and community care delivery system. And this is not necessarily the right 
roadmap. This is not where we need to focus all of our energy. And we need Mm -hmm. to be thinking about what we do before the hospital. We anticipated that the ERs would get filled, that the hospitals would get filled, and we wanted to build something upstream. I feel like I'm part of a a community of immigrants. And when I look at what happened at CHA, those are the folks that are suffering right now. I'm so grateful that I can be involved in this work with people like Janice, like our clinical team. I feel like we are working in an organization that folks have that sense of mission. Like I talk to people from other hospitals and they're like, what? The physicians do what? The PCPs do what? They come with you to the community. Yes, they do research. Yeah, they do. So it's it's an environment that everybody seems to be on the same boat. This is our mission. We're going to try to improve what is going on out there. So my role has evolved. Basically, we do a lot of community health worker training and then we work with the community health workers that we train in the community to improve the health where they live and work. It evolved under COVID. Health education became all about COVID. And again, really lucky that I could involve our clinical teams, bring them out and have their full support, trying to engage people in discussions on things that would make them safer. And many times that discussion was just about mask wearing, about social distancing and hand washing. But then it evolved into the vaccine work that we are doing right now. And this equity work that a robust team of people all around Massachusetts that very invested in doing that, this equity work, which is tedious at times. Because we are the folks that are in between people who need and resources. And many times those resources don't come in the package that we want them to come. And many times people that need those resources, they have a hard time accessing that. And part of my job is knocking down those barriers to access, understanding what they are and knocking them down. Wow, there's a lot in what you're saying there. Let me pick on something. So you were talking about community health workers. Are the community health workers employed by community organizations, by CHA? Do they work pro bono? What's the array of arrangements that there are with community health workers? Right now, community health workers are an important, significant part of any health system around Massachusetts, perhaps about (laughs) in the whole United States and in the world, you see them everywhere. For us, we have employees that qualify under that umbrella of community health workers within the hospital walls and without and and outside of the hospital walls. So for example, inside we have patient navigators We have patient resource coordinators. We have care partners. We have them tackling mental health. We have them connecting people to resources in in Mm -hmm. many different, there's like over 50 roles within a hospital wall. Pay them. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Okay. Different roles. Yeah. 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 Wow. Okay. And then then outside the, the hospital walls, we also have a number of community health workers for you to have an idea Our community health improvement department has about 70 people. Many of them are in that role of health educators, patient navigators, you name it, but working outside, as Janice said, 
tackling social determinants of health. I don't mm -hmm. like that word determinants. I like to say social influencers of because we can change them. It's not yeah. something that it's there and we can't affect. But social determinants of health is the term commonly used. And so CHA has really made an investment in this. That's pretty impressive. Janice, I see you. And Danny, yeah. just one thing, not CHA. They state, and it's in the Accountable Care Act, the role of community health workers is solid as part of the care team. So it's not only us, but it's happening everywhere. This role of community health workers, sorry. No, I appreciate that. But I would say in my limited experience, there's there's what's required and then there's what is actually done and what's the spirit behind all that. And Janice, yes. I mean, I can, I can on our Insta feed this morning, it, it was announced that CHA was named the number one hospital in Massachusetts for health equity and value by the, the Lown Institute. Congratulations. So to, to, to your point, I think that there is what is required, but there's but that's a really different thing for trying to figure out how to make a system work more effectively and really leverage resources utilize resources in a way that brings the most value to the population. And Jamila was talking about all of the various roles or the various types of community health workers exist in Cambridge Health Alliance. But one good example, just to pivot away from COVID for just a second, is within our behavior integrated behavioral health team. So our system actually lost a, a really large number of psychiatrists and also needed to pivot some resources to inpatient services because of the mental health crisis. And we, you know, we're definitely struggling as a system to provide care to all who need it right now, like every other system as it pertains to behavioral health. But one of the things that we've been working on for quite a number of years now is this primary care behavioral health integrated mental health care. And one of the key parts of that is our behavioral health care partners. So these are unlicensed mental health team members who can provide a great number of services really in conjunction with the rest of the behavioral health team overseen by the rest of the behavioral health team, but allowing for the prescribers, allowing for the therapist to take care of the patients that are most in need and mm -hmm. not every, not necessarily every single patient. Some patients do really well with a care partner and brief interventions and that kind of thing. And, and when you think about it from a community perspective and a population health perspective, mental health um, care, behavioral health care can feel really intimidating for, and there, there's lots of different perspectives within our um, immigrant communities about accessing care, mental health care, behavioral health care. And so having this role doesn't just allow for different allocation of resources, but it also can be much more accessible to, to patients who may feel a little bit intimidated by doing therapy or seeking psychiatric care. Yeah.
So I have two questions, but and so pick one. And one of them is that it sounds like you hire from within, so meaning you hire from uh, the communities that you serve, so that community, so that the health workers are coming from those communities. I'd be interested in that. And the other thing, just to get it out there, is that you're talking about the d- differing approaches that communities have to mental health, behavioral health care, and I'd be interested in hearing about the range. So why don't you pick one of those, Janice, and then we'll let Jamila talk about the other. Sure. So as far as hiring from within our communities, I think that this is something that CHA for many years now has taken an anger institution approach. And so has really sought to hire from within the community and also sought to promote people from within our communities into leadership roles and and having more advanced roles. Even to take something like our medical assistants, most of our medical assistants are, many of them are bilingual, trilingual, are from our communities and just have so much insight into the unique challenges that our, our communities, our teams face, our patients face, but then being able to allow them to, you know, potentially enter into something like a care partner role or a leadership role or something like that. And I think our HR department has done a a really pretty good job of this for quite some time and with a lot of intentionality. Oh, that's Um, great. So Jamila, what about the range of approaches? That's probably the approaches is probably not the right word, but the range of how how different communities will be ready for access stigma. What is the range that you feel like your communities offer in terms of opportunity and challenges in accessing uh, mental health and behavioral health care. Why don't we talk about accessing anything at all? The thing is, a lot of the folks that we serve came to this country recently, and some came here like 30 years ago, but up to today, they still don't speak English. So understanding, like for you, Danny, to understand the healthcare system, it's confusing. For me, I work in healthcare. When I look at my health insurance, what it covers, what it doesn't, it's very confusing. So now when imagine arriving in this land and having to learn everything, language, places where you go shopping, what kind of products you buy, school, where your kid's going to go, vaccines that you need for school or for work or whatever. So all this stuff It's like an overload of information in folks' minds. They don't have time to think and do what it takes to access care and other resources. And what that means is understanding health insurance, especially for those that don't have a documentation of their immigration status in this country. So how what is accessible to them? For example, for folks that are coming from Brazil, in Brazil, if you get sick, you get the phone, and you call a doctor. And most likely, if you feel like my heart is aching, you're going to call a cardiologist. If you have a stomach pain, you're going to call a gastro um, person. So here, we need to work on saying, no, 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 there's a, a, a place you have to stop first. And that's a primary care provider. 
you have to go start there. It, that's what opens the doors to everything, including mental health, cardiology, or, and then people usually ask me, but Jamila, how much does it cost if I just want to pay for a cardiologist? And it's hard to explain that people won't tell you that. People won't tell you how much it costs until after you had that exam, because they don't know what they're going to be, what your symptoms are, what kind of tests you're going to need. And so it's very hard for folks to understand that and plan. So part of what we do out there in the community as community health workers is explain and help folks navigate the system. And guess what? The emergency room is open for you, but that's not the optimal case if you don't have a true emergency. So then making that distinction between what is urgent, what is an emergency, and what is just the regular maintenance. And then it comes that conversation on why is it so important to do that regular maintenance? But sometimes what I feel like in across all the communities that we serve, people have so much more to deal with that they are functioning, they are addressing emergencies. And if they don't have an emergency medical situation, they are not going to go there. So reaching out and bringing people in, it's, it is what our goal is, our mission and our challenge. Yes, yes, yes. I'm, I'm just, I'm processing. <laughs> um, the cool thing is that we have this awesome program at Community Health. It's called the Volunteer Health Advisors Program. So every year we recruit about 25 to 30 people from the communities we serve that reflect that community. And we train them as community health workers. And after we train them, they volunteer with us for 48 hours. And what they do, they help us connect with communities. Some of them work with churches. Some of them work with, you know, municipalities or community-based organizations. And they help us do the work we do over a period of a year. And then after that, that also works as a connection for them to find jobs as community health workers. So it's a it's an awesome little program. That wow! We have. Cool. And just to speak to that as a you know primary care clinician, I remember a time, and this is a while ago. This is pre COVID, but I had a patient come into the office who was a new patient to CHA. She was new to the U.S. and didn't speak English yet and was accompanied by someone, a VHA, who didn't actually speak the same language as her. So it wasn't acting as a translator at all, but there was enough cultural similarity that the patient was able to overcome her fears, partly just by having another woman there, but also having someone who could share some of her deepest fears with me as a provider. So it also you know, helped me as the provider to step back for a second from the kind of clinical space and really kind of think about what is the most important thing to this person in this moment in time. And that VHA was just so helpful in helping me prioritize and, and really understand from the patient's perspective, what was the most important. It was a beautiful moment. It's a great program. And then you let me just uh, say, so when we go out there and we tell folks, you are safe here. You can come to CHA. We'll serve you. You come, you will find great doctors. We'll, you'll find primary care providers. You'll find. So for me, 
it's awesome to have Janice and her team, a lot of folks from her team, different languages. So I was talking about that idea of people coming into the hospital and meeting what we promised, which is a provider that are good. What Janice was describing that she did right now was listening and trying to understand culture and trying to figure out how that affects treatment, how that affects that relationship. Yeah, yeah. Um, Those nuances of culture are so huge. And I feel like in most traditional healthcare systems, you go to the doctor and he has the power to tell you what to do. And many times, if the doctor comes from the same culture you come from, there'll be more success, even though even when you come from the same culture, the same culture doesn't mean sameness. Many right, cultures, no. different individuals are, you know, multi-layered. But at CHA, our doctors every day, our primary care providers every day, they see people that are very different from what they know. So one thing that I feel that our clinical team has is that ability of do what Janice was saying right now, sit back and understand what the needs are, what are the cultural factors that are impacting that care. And I feel as an organization, that's what separates us from many other healthcare systems in our area in the country. You're doing a lot. It's really impressive. What do you think... To take it to another level, what do you need? I, I can speak to this a little bit. I have a degree in healthcare delivery science. And I think that our systems are, when we think about this from a change management perspective and, and the incentives involved in the system, culture involved in the system, all of these different pieces, we are we are nationally in the U.S. pretty far from where we need um, to be to provide equitable um, quality, affordable healthcare to communities. So we're just, we're pretty far. And, you know, I think at CHA, we've definitely closed the gap a little bit, maybe a little bit more than a little bit. But I think in order to continue moving in the right direction, I think we need to nationally really um, think about how we are paying for health, what we define as value and through whose lens. And even thinking about how we train healthcare providers, teams, et cetera, right? We train people in a pretty traumatizing system. And so that trauma can really impact trust and connection with patients, especially from vulnerable communities. And I think that certainly thinking about incentives and how healthcare is paid for, but also thinking about Who's really part of that design of healthcare? Whose voices get heard in how care gets delivered? And also, how are we actually training people at a very basic level? Because we we have to change the culture, and the the culture of healthcare is pretty pretty deep. Oh, yeah, yeah, that would be an understatement. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Now a word about our sponsor, Abridge. 
Use a bridge to record your doctor visit. Push the big pink button and record the conversation. Read the transcript or listen to clips when you get home. Check out the app at abridge.com. A-B-R-I-D-G-E dot com. Or download it on the Apple App Store or Google Play Store. Record your healthcare conversations. Let me know how it went. I'm speaking with Jamila Zibel and Janice John at the Cambridge Health Alliance. So what should we be talking about that we haven't talked about? Jamila, you want to start? Um, I think maybe not explicitly. I don't think we talked about the importance for healthcare institutions to engage communities into the process of care. And by engage, I don't mean reach out. There's this idea that we do outreach, and outreach is a one-way thing. You tell people what to do. Engaging is bringing communities into what you're doing and help them design the services that you're providing. Have them help us design the services that we are providing. I think it's a very powerful thing. And Janice and I, through the, this participatory research collaboration, was a very powerful example of how we can continue doing that. The other thing that I want to say again, what Janice was talking about, the training. We medical, the medical profession is very hierarchical. And that importance of training. I'm I'm a trainer in cultural humility, and I feel like that can be applied in so many <laughs> different ways for to improve. A trainer in yeah. cultural humility. Yes. Oh, so cultural I love humility. That. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah. It, it's a whole thing. It's a concept wow. developed by. A, couple of doctors in California, and I was very lucky that I was trained by one of those doctors that developed the concept. We deliver yeah. care. I'll include something about cultural humility in the show notes. Next, Janice and I spoke about hierarchy in healthcare delivery systems and the role of PAs, physicians, assistant, soon-to-be physician associate. What do PAs do? Lions um, have been the chief PA for a number of years for primary care. And so I've hired a team um, now of about 40 PAs. And actually, many of them were born and raised in our communities. And the PA education was a much more accessible model to be able to deliver care and not not just culturally humble care, but really culturally concordant care. And so we have a number of Haitian PAs and actually most of the most of the greatest gaps in chronic disease management exists actually in our Haitian community. There's a, a number of really complex factors that contribute to this, but the amount of trust that exists between our community members and 
several of these Haitian Creoles speaking, but born and raised PAs from our communities, they're able to bridge trust in a way that many of the rest of us may have a harder time doing. And so I think that our our profession, the profession of PA, physician associate, what have you, is our professional identity is really as a team member. Teaming is 100% kind of our core identity. And I think that actually makes us really ready to partner with patients, partner with communities, partly because our our training isn't necessarily to lead, our training is to partner with. And so yes, hierarchy is really prevalent in medicine. And it can actually be pretty toxic and harmful at times and contribute to some of the traumatization and re-traumatization that exists, both within teams and also as it pertains to patient care, unfortunately. And it is also true that sort of shifting our orientation to how we engage with patients, really moving from that hero model into helper, helper mode can actually be a pretty incredible bridge. As I've said before, my barometer for community engagement considers severely marginalized communities, whatever that means, like those without brick-and-mortar homes, those living in jails and prisons, those with rare diseases, and children with disabilities. How do lessons learned, principles, and initiatives apply to these communities? In episode 150, Kirsten Meisinger, also from Cambridge Health Alliance, spoke about the Public Health Foundation of CHA. I took the opportunity to ask Janice about CHA's engagement with the homeless community. I am not as, not quite as connected to, um, homeless care within Cambridge Health Alliance as I was when I was in Boston. Boston Healthcare for the Homeless is another incredible organization, and you should definitely um, talk to team members from over there. They're doing really incredible work. And I think that the, the way that they have approached care for really quite a few decades at this point is to design for the margins. And so what they very much do, and, and they actually really have a lot figured out, right? So they have consumer advisory boards. One of their consumer advisory board members is on their board. They do a lot within their delivery service delivery model to really go to where the patients are. So whether that is on the street and street medicine or to shelters, drop-ins, et cetera, their main hub is on Albany Street and Mass Ave in Boston, right. which is where... They're just the greatest number of um, homeless patients that uh, homeless people stay. There's a shelter right behind and and then people unfortunately staying on the streets because that's where we're at right now with the closure of one of the biggest shelters in Boston. I think that the model of really going to where patients are and working to deliver care, I think that we talked about this a little before, what would we need to do? And I think that what we're doing at CHA, if we could figure out how to actually transition more of our care 
two communities where our community health workers are inviting clinical teams in, that kind of thing. The, the payment models just really don't align with that right now. Yeah. And we're a public system trying to stay afloat and continue to provide care. But I think that would be a total paradigm shift and really yeah. paradigm shift that's needed. Thank you. Jamil, I'll give you the last word. Anything you want to Ask me a question <laughs> besides us. <laughs> okay. So if there were two things that you wanted listeners or readers to uh, leave with from this conversation, what are those two things? The work that we do is complex. It, we're working with people. We're working with care and we're working with the healthcare industry. And I feel like we put a lot of thought into it. And unfortunately, we still don't see the ideal situation, right? Ideally, everybody would be as healthy as they could be and resources would not be a problem. And I feel like there's a lot of people that think that there'll be a one answer to the things that we do. And there is not, it's complex. It involves a lot of professionals. It involves teams and it's difficult because when you do involve teams from different areas, it's complicated, not only time personalities, it's complicated. I think that's what, and I feel like for us who are in the field and I talk about me personally, some days, I feel like it's one step forward and two behind. But, yeah, I feel lucky that we're in Massachusetts. I feel lucky that the communities that we serve has have very progressive voices, not only within our healthcare system, but in the community itself. And that interaction is precious. And that's mm -hmm. what keeps bringing us to innovation and to change, to Yeah putting us in the right direction. Thank you. Thank you both. This has been great. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I have a feeling this is not the last time we'll chat. Thank you for taking the time and, and sharing with us. Yeah. Thank you so and, much. Uh, thank you, Danny. I learned much today about the fabric of community engagement. I'm impressed with how Cambridge Health Alliance weaves the threads of community engagement with the warp of its public health mission. That's some woven fabric lingo, warp and weave. I'd never heard of cultural humility. I love the two-way street of education and hiring for the diversity of community health workers and leaders. I'd expect a return on investment if the goal is community health and rapid response to crises. Do you know of other examples of sustained community engagement in healthcare research, delivery, entrepreneurship, or funding like CHA or PCORI? If you do, let me know and introduce me to someone who might be a guest on Health Hatch, the podcast. 
My next guest will be Talia Myron Schatz, a consultant and researcher at the intersection of medicine and behavioral economics. We'll speak about medical decision-making. Thanks for joining us. Onward. the show notes, previous podcasts, and other resources through my website, www.health-hats.com. Please subscribe and contribute. If you like it, share it. Thanks. See you around the block.